Hello and welcome to the first episode of My Soccer Story. My name is Joshua Doring. Thanks for joining me as I talk to people from across the world of soccer to learn about their journey and what the sport means to them. My first guest is University of Iowa defender Sam Carey. As soon as I came up with this idea and started thinking about possible guests I wanted to talk to, I knew I wanted Sam to be the first one because there are so many different parts of her story that are worth exploring. She is an author and a high-level referee in addition to obviously being a terrific player herself. Our conversation covered everything from why she never thought she would end up playing at Iowa to the mental health challenges she faced early in her college career and how soccer has played a vital role in making her the person she is today. So sit back, relax, and listen as Sam Carey shares her soccer story. Joining me today is University of Iowa defender Sam Carey. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to share your soccer story. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk. I'm really looking forward to this as well. And the first question is a very simple one. From your perspective, where do you feel like your soccer story started? Is there is there a moment that sticks out to you where you kind of realized the sport was for you? Oh, gosh, that's such a hard question. And it immediately floods me with so many amazing memories. You know, it's really funny looking back on it because I feel like a lot of players have a story where like, oh, my mom and my dad played, so they pushed me into it or there's some kind of connection there. Well, no one in my family was ever an athlete. Um, I love my parents dearly, but they both have their PhDs in engineering and not something that I would do. Um, and this, as the story goes, I was a young kid with way too much energy that they did not know what to do. So I got into every sport I could imagine playing, and I actually used to hate soccer. I was the very prissy girl that hated being sweaty, that, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with being outside on a hot summer day. And I think it really all started changing for me around like fourth grade. I remember I had this fourth grade teacher who just loved soccer and was always talking about it. And I could make conversation with him. And I was like, wait, like, this is something I really enjoy doing. And it's interesting because, like I said, going back to my non-athletic parents, um, I wasn't the kid that was naturally talented by any means. I was definitely the kid that if you saw when I was a six-year-old, they'd be like, there's no way she's playing by the time she's nine or ten. But I am very competitive, not only with other people, but myself. So I don't know that I fell in love with soccer because of the game of soccer, but I loved seeing me get better at things. I loved, you know, starting to juggle and getting four and then the next day getting out there and getting seven, you know, just little step by step. And I realized then that this was a sport that I could do all that in. I played a bunch of different sports growing up, mostly soccer and track and field and to be frank, I hated that track and field was just me in a track. I didn't like running in circles. I have mad respect for anyone that can do it. And anytime I was on a track, I wanted to be on a soccer field. So it wasn't one moment where I'm like, wow, I love this sport. But over time, I'm like, my life wouldn't be the same without it. And now I can look at the sport with so much beauty involved. And is there a moment as you're kind of progressing in your career where you realized, this isn't just something I enjoy, but this is something I'm actually pretty good at, something I can take past just playing in high school with my friends or something like that. Because obviously to get where you are today, you had to put a lot of extra effort in that people who are just kind of playing for fun probably aren't. So is there 
is there something that sticks out to you where you go, I could, you know, potentially do this at the professional level. I could do this at the college level. I'm pretty good at this whole high school soccer thing that kind of made you want to take that next step and really try and turn this into something more than a hobby. Yeah, for sure. So like I said, it's kind of an interesting story, but I was a big track runner. So I started running track around fifth and sixth grade, and I was really good at it, mainly because I was in shape for soccer and none of ton of girls in Missouri run track at fifth grade. So I had that advantage that there was a very small population of us. And I ended up that year going to track nationals and getting like third in the nation in the mile. And they're like, wow, you're really good at running track. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely hate this. Why does anyone enjoy this? And it made me realize the joy of success and realize, you know, what putting hard work and putting your mind to something can do. But I absolutely hated it. And so I was like, what if I take all this effort that I put into track and I put it to something I actually enjoy? And that's when I really started taking soccer seriously. So within a year of that, I switched from my local club team to my larger ECNL program because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And at that point, you know, my parents' financial budget shut up and they basically told me they're like all right we will invest and you go into this big large club team but you have to give us everything in return so if we're going to put the money and the time to that it takes to do this you're going to put the time and the effort in to do it right and it was kind of that decision for me that you know i started getting that taste of like okay i went from this no-name team to this bigger club and i went from the girl who you know wasn't expected to start to being a starter on the team and getting those small glimpses of success, I was like, I am just feeding off this mentality of working hard. I've always had this underdog mentality of just, you know, I wasn't the best and then I work and get there and I wasn't here and then I do. And from there, I was like, I just want to keep going. There wasn't a ceiling that I saw. And so it wasn't really a question of, you know, if I was going to play soccer, college and soccer, it was where I was going to do it in any facet. And then I got to college and I've had a phenomenal career at Iowa that I'm so thankful for. And my ceiling's not done yet. So I don't know where that ceiling's going to be, but I know I haven't hit it yet. Now, where is kind of the sport in all of this as you're continuing to get to get better? You talked about this idea of, yeah, putting that effort towards something you actually enjoy. Are you, is part of that also sort of digging into the history of the sport, watching more on TV? Are there players you're kind of falling in love with, trying to emulate teams you're watching in particular? Or was this more just you focused on you and kind of integrating yourself slowly into the whole soccer world? Yeah, you know, I think looking back on it, it was so much of me chasing me. You know, now I watch a ton of soccer and I live in the sport, but like I didn't grow up with that. And to be frank, being a young woman in soccer you couldn't watch soccer on TV. You know, I knew about the U.S. national team, but you could watch them, you know, every four years in the World Cup cycle. And then on the off cycle, it was the Olympics. You know, there wasn't often that source of media to watch women's soccer. So I knew what men's soccer was, but honestly, I wanted to be unique and different. So I was like, who cares about Manchester United? I want to play on the women's side. So anytime anyone was like, oh, are you Ronaldo? Are you Messi? I was like, I'm Alex Morgan. Like, I was like that 13-year-old who wanted to be different. And so growing up for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you couldn't see that. That wasn't a point of our lives where we could look back and have, you know, sports pages just dedicated to the U.S. Women's National Team, the NWSL. So I think so much of it was great for me, though, because it wasn't like I had a role model that I was chasing. That's some of the best lessons I've learned is it's not like I didn't have that pressure of, you know, I want to get here. So I have to go to Stanford to play and I have to go to all these amazing schools and these amazing programs and do it this way. Because I think one of the most amazing parts about soccer is everyone has a different path. 
and everyone hits their stride at a different time and everyone has a different journey. So I was super happy that I didn't feel the pressure of following someone else's journey because those weren't even advertised. So I got to find my own through that. Now, in addition to, and we're going to get back to some of the other soccer things you're involved in, but you are also an author. You wrote a book, The Do's and Don'ts of College Soccer, kind of giving advice and talking about your college experience. What, what was that process like for you? And what do you feel like people don't understand that haven't, you know, been college athletes, haven't gone through a process similar to yours that made you want to write a book specifically about that and kind of trying to give advice and, and tips for the next generation who's going through that? Yeah, you know, when it came to this idea of how am I going to spend my summer, you know, let's just write a book, which was a very random thought for me. <laughs> I was just thinking, I never had an older sister. You know, I never had someone in my life that went through this process. And as much as I love soccer and I'm super thankful for my journey, the process is getting more and more complicated, in my opinion. We have 18 different clubs, leagues. We have the ECNL, we have the GA, we have Youth National League. You know, there's 18 different platforms. Do you do your recruiting through social media? Do you do it through ID camps? How do you email a soccer coach? Like all of these things I kind of fumbled through and figured out on my own. And I think it worked out great for me, but it wasn't really clear to me, how do you do this? And then when you get to college soccer, what does that look like? I remember when I like stepped into my first season at Iowa, I was so overwhelmed because I was just like, I didn't know that we had to do all these things. And what is watching film like? And how do I do this? Like, I remember I was a freshman starter on a team with 14 seniors and I had no idea how to act in that. And I just, there was so much uncertainty that I was like, if I can give these four years of lessons that I've learned through all the ups and downs and give this back to something that I wish I had when I was a 13, 14 year old girl starting this journey, I would love to do that. And so I think one of the most unique things about the book is I didn't want to just do it from my perspective, because like I said earlier, I think one of the greatest things about soccer is we all have different journeys and we all have different paths. So what I kind of did is, you know, I brainstormed the 10 sections that I think were the most pertinent. So everything from finding the right school for you to injuries, to preseason, to postseason, and even the last chapter is a chapter for the parents. You know, I've been so thankful that my mom and my dad have been a part of my soccer journey my entire life, but not every soccer mom knows what it takes. So what I did is I found girls that are in my network with different journeys and I gave them a phone call and I was like, what would you tell your younger self? So you know, Allie Schlegel, who just signed a contract with the Chicago Red Stars, is in the book talking about how she came back from her injuries. Emily Madrill, who just signed a contract with Orlando Pride, is in the book talking about what it was like to win a national championship with Florida State. You know, there's, there's so many different journeys, and I wanted to highlight not just my own. You know, it was really cool. I got to sit down and talk with my mom and a group of soccer moms that I know in the St. Louis area and say, what, what would you wish you knew when your daughter was a freshman? And, I mean, a lot of it was nostalgic for me. I got to think back about oh my gosh, I remember going through that or what would I want to know? But also, you know, I've gotten so much amazing feedback about this made me feel more confident going in or this made my decision to play college soccer seem a bit clearer or this made, you know, helping balance the decisions a bit, you know, a simpler decision. So I'm so happy I did it. It was a total win to do, but I definitely think book number two might be coming this summer. <laughs> well, how about that? And obviously one of the the biggest decisions in all of that is where you're going to play your college soccer. So for you, why Iowa? How did you end up a Hawkeye? 
Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. And I fully remember my first time driving to the University of Iowa's campus. I looked at my mom and I said, there's no way I ever go here. Like, I am not going to Iowa. What is in Iowa? And looking back on my journey, you know, I wouldn't change my decision for the world. I have absolutely adored my last four years here to the point where they basically can't get rid of me and I've decided to take my fifth year. But it wasn't a clear journey, like I said. I wanted to play in the Big Ten Conference. Both my parents did a lot of their academics in the Big Ten. You know, both my parents went to Illinois and then on to Michigan. So, but And I also knew I couldn't be that far from home. I love the Midwest and I wanted mom and dad to be able to come to my games. And so I couldn't go crazy. And that kind of left the Big Ten or SEC being from Missouri originally. And I remember weighing out a bunch of different options. And, you know, I was extremely blessed to have options to look at, whether it be across different conferences, across different levels from like big schools in the Big Ten to smaller schools. And when it came to Iowa, like I said, at first I was like, there's no way I come to Iowa. And I just fell in love not only with the campus here and everything that Iowa City is, because I think it's a really special and unique area, but I just felt like the energy and the mentality in this program fit mine the best. And so a lot of people are shocked to hear, like, I probably could have gone to more stereotypical, better soccer schools in Iowa. You know, Iowa was known to be average in the Big Ten, especially when I was committing. Um, I like to think we changed that a little bit. I do have a Big Ten ring sitting on my desk right here. But it wasn't, you know, the flashy decision that I maybe could have made with my college choice. But I wanted to play and I really wanted to play my freshman year. So I was like, okay, where can I get those minutes right away? And I saw that in Iowa and I... I was like, okay, I'm a very aggressive player. I'll be the first one to say it. I'm gritty. I'm hard. I may not be the most technically clean on the ball at the time, but be valued. And, you know, there's very different styles of soccer played all across the Big Ten Conference alone, let alone the country. You know, some teams value more technical possession, pretty finesse. Other teams are, you know, we're going to be faster and stronger and we're going to win off that. And, you know, there's a big balance in anywhere. So I think one of the best things when it comes to your college choices how does it fit how you play in your strengths and weaknesses? I know mine's my physicality. I know I'm going to be tougher than anyone else in the field. So I wanted to go somewhere that I would respect that. And that is ingrained in Iowa's culture. We are a very blue collar team. We want to work to get it done. And we understand we may not be the best in the field, but we will be the hardest working on the field. And I felt like that's a place where I could thrive. And I feel like I've left my mark over the last four years. You certainly have. And one of the things you've been very outspoken about that I wanted to touch on is just the the mental health side of this. And for somebody who, you know, obviously, right, you're not five years into a professional career or something like that. You're not retired from your professional career. You're still very much growing and evolving. And, you know, college is a, a place where you kind of go to learn who you are and, and evolve as a person. When did you, because you've come to this topic so early, I feel like, and obviously it's becoming a, a much larger conversation generally in society, but when did you kind of realize the importance of mental health to you and why you wanted to make this part of your story? Yeah. You know, looking back on my journey, I think I could have saw the red flags a little bit sooner than I really recognized them. But a lot of it started when I made that jump from high school soccer to college soccer. And I'm a perfectionist at heart. Uh, like I said, I'm extremely competitive, but not only with other people, more so with myself. I have a very high standard for myself and I'm always going to demand more. That's just how I was raised. That's what I thrive off of. And I genuinely believe that that's the reason why I am where I am. I am not satisfied and I'm not going to be complacent. However, I've always been told the great things about that mentality. 
And there's so many of them, don't get me wrong. I'm playing against a girl who's a fifth year. You know, I'm marking on the field and she gets by me. She probably should. I'm not at that point where, you know, I'm good enough to deal with that. And I just remember breaking down. Like no one got by me. Why, why am I letting this girl by me? And as much as that's a great mentality to have, to keep pushing, to keep wanting more, I let that spiral. And all of a sudden it went from, okay, I'm going to get her next time to, I'm not good enough to be here. You know, I am, I'm a phony. You know, why do these coaches believe in me? Because they shouldn't. And that kind of got in my head. And I used to think like, oh, I'm hard on myself because that pushes me to get better. And there's very much truth in that statement, but there's also so many negative things that you kind of just choose not to feel. You know, I was raised my entire life with the philosophy of mental toughness. Um, Just going back to my track days, I was talking about, I had this, you know, large track coach who every time it was, you show no weakness, you feel no weakness, you are mentally tough. And I was like, all right, so that means I'm a robot. Let's go. And I thrived off of that. I used to brag on the fact that I was like, I have no emotions. You can't get to me. Like, I'm tough. And it took me so long to realize that that was the biggest mask I had ever worn in my life. And that's not who I was or who I wanted to be. So I remember, you know, I kind of let things slide my first semester. It was able to sweep under the rug, didn't really have to talk about it. And things really started to bubble my first freshman fall. I was extremely blessed with the opportunity of starting as a freshman, like I said. And, you know, I was on a team at the time with 14 seniors. So most of the starting lineup was seniors and then this random freshman. And I remember feeling completely overwhelmed. We had a phenomenal team that year. I remember we started off the season 10 and 0. We got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament for one of the first times in Iowa soccer history. And I remember in that NCAA game, we were playing a three seed Kansas. And I was like, why am I on the field right now? There are so many amazing soccer players here. And why is this schmuck 18 year old, the one that they're putting their pressure on and the weight on? And we ended up losing that game one, nothing. And frankly, I probably could have done better to stop that goal. And looking back at it now, it's like, oh, I want that one back. But I remember I was like, if we lose this game, like this is the senior's career, all this team's career. And they're, they're trusting me with that. Like that's the biggest mistake. And I remember my coaches kind of start seeing me like, think like this. And they're like, Sam, why do you think you're starting? And I was like, I don't know. I got lucky. And they're like, no, you're good enough to be here. And I just didn't believe in myself like that. I really have this kind of been living this facade of I'm tough. I'm confident. You can't touch me. But inside, I didn't believe any of those things on the outside. So COVID hits. And I will say like over COVID, like my mindset changed. I drove and I worked harder than I ever had in my life. And that was great, but it was more physical stuff. It wasn't soccer because we couldn't get out on the field and play. So I was running, I was lifting, I was doing everything I could. But once we got back to the field, it was, my touch was off. You know, I hadn't done a passing pattern in about four months because no one had. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, this isn't the level I should be at. You know, I've worked so hard over COVID. I'm like, why is this not clicking? And I was putting on so much pressure on myself that I remember like I would go to practice and then I'd come home and think about every mistake I made. So I may may have had a phenomenal practice, but I would think about those two mistakes I made. And I just would come home and I'd just like lock myself in the room the rest of the day. I'd be like, I am a terrible soccer player. I don't deserve to be here. I suck. And so much of that verbiage snuck into my brain all the time. I was like, I suck, man. Like, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, I started as a freshman, but that was a fluke. Like now it's sophomore year, like this is where you make it or you lose it. And I was like, I suck. And I just kept saying that over and over again. So eventually like my mom and I were on the phone. She was like, Sam, you don't like you lost your fire. You lost your spark. You know, one thing I've always been known for is that, like I said, 
I have that underdog mentality. I'm going to work. And I just kind of lost it. And it was probably like the most lost and dark place I've ever been in my life. Cause I was just like, I hate soccer. I hate it here. This isn't where I want to be. Like, I'm just, I'm not happy. And it took me a long time to accept that going to therapy might be a great thing for me. For me, like in that decision, going to therapy, I was like, I don't need therapy. Like I am tough. My whole life I've been told I'm tough. I'm not weak. That's not who I am. Like, why would I go to therapy and talk about my emotions? Like, I don't need to do that. I don't have emotions. I thought I was so strong and so tough. And eventually I was like, all right, mom, if it makes you happy, I'll go. Like, that's fine. And immediately I walked in the room and she was like, how are you? And I broke down crying. And I ever like just that session right there changed my life. And she was like, you have so much bottled up stuff inside. Like, let's let this out. And I remember leaving that room and I felt 10 pounds lighter. And I was like, wait, like, this is why people, this is why we do this. Like, this is what talking about our feelings does. And I was like, okay, maybe I can be into this. But I remember at the end of therapy, she was like, you know, Sam, like we've run a couple tests and we think you have anxiety. Um, like I'd love to get you on a low dosage of anti-anxiety medication. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And she was like, why not? And I was like, I can talk to you. We can, we can go to therapy. I don't need medication for it though. Like that's a whole new level. And I remember we kept getting into the spring 2021 season and whatever that was made with COVID. And I just wasn't playing like myself. And they're like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, we could see like my coach and I had a meeting. He's like, I can see in your face that you're not okay. Like you are normally the person that walks in with a ray of sunshine and says good morning and smiles. And that is not you. And eventually I was like, I think I have to do it. And I kind of like in my head, I was like, listen, I sprained my ankle and I tape my ankle. You know, you break a bone and you can wear a cast. Like I am mentally not well. Like I was not in a good place. Like why, why can't I take medicine and help that? And once I fought that ego within myself, I was like, all right. And like, I'm very open, like you said, like for three years now, I've been on anti-anxiety medication and I still check in at therapy. And it just honestly just made me a better person. I've grown as a person, but also as a player, like I'm a better leader because of it. I'm more aware of how my actions impact other people. And I think I'm also just a more stable person. So it was definitely my own ego that it took to fight it, but I'm very thankful that I did. And I fully think that my college experience wouldn't be the same if I didn't. That is really, really well said. And there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And there's also, I want to be respectful of your time and make sure, because there's other things I want to, to get to, and you've kind of laid that out. So that is, that is terrific advice. Thank you for being so open with all of that. The other main thing I want to get to here is you're not only a player, you're also a high level referee, which is fairly <laughs> special. I would have to imagine within kind of the world that you operate in. There's plenty of avenues we could go down here. But first thing I want to ask is just how has being a referee enhanced your relationship with the sport, made you a better player? What have you learned about the sport from a referee standpoint that being a player didn't necessarily provide? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the more and more time I've spent refereeing, the more joy I see in it. I think I joke a lot about the fact that I have two very different hats and I have to switch my mindset from the player mindset to the referee mindset. Sometimes I don't always do great at that, but I think the best thing that being a referee has helped my soccer is that I found the fun, you know, like I am a high level referee. I can go out and ref adult games every once in a while, just for the heck of it. I pick up a United 
And maybe that may be way over my pay grade at this point. Maybe I don't need to be doing that at all. But there is something about going to a soccer field and seeing a bunch of nine-year-olds play terrible soccer. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. Like, you might be the worst kid out there, but every single kid on that field has a smile on their face. And I think the best thing that refing has done for my game is it made me remind myself how fun it is. You know, going out and seeing, like, I love refing youth soccer. You know, I don't necessarily have to do it anymore. I ref a lot of adult games as well. But there is something about seeing about that 10-year-old score of goal that they haven't scored in a while and they celebrate like it's the World Cup that just puts a smile on your face. And you remind yourself, like, how fun this is. Or, like, by the camaraderie in refing. You know, there's so many people that have been in love with this game for 40, 50 years that still go out and ref on the weekends for fun. And being able to like appreciate the opportunities I have through playing and being a college athlete, as well as, you know, learning tactics and being in the middle of a field that does help with my playing. But there's something just about that joy that I can see through refing that I don't always see while playing that helps remind me and refresh my head. The other side of that is dealing with parents (laughs) and just the youth soccer landscape. And I mean, you can go all the way up to the, the premier league and you'll see coaches in, you know, managers implying things about conspiracies. Of course, fans think every referee is out to get their team. It goes all the, you know, from the youth ranks all the way up to the highest level of the sport. What, what has that part of it been like for you? And what do you feel like people need to, I guess, do, do better or how do we improve this relationship between referees and parents fans players whatever it might be because it just seems to me watching you know different leagues across the world that it's just incredibly toxic and it really frustrates me at times just as somebody watching I can't imagine you actually being out there (laughs) absolutely I will say it's very interesting what games I've had the most chaos on the sidelines typically seem to be my younger age groups you know I feel like a lot of times you're like, oh, the older you get, the rowdier it gets. But it really tends to be like the parents that think that this U13 game really means that their child's going to win the World Cup. Um, and I get it. Like, listen, my parents were so invested in my soccer. And you pay a lot of time and money for your kid to play. And you're invested. And that's great. Um, I had had some insane experiences, though. Like, I fully remember I was a 17-year-old girl refing a U19 boys game at State Cup. And the parent didn't like my call and jumped over a fence, started charging at me, saying he's going to get me. Part of me was like, all right, sir, that's a felony. Like, I'm 17. Like, come at me. Um, For me personally, what it really taught me was how to carry myself well and speak with confidence. You know, I started refing when I was 15 years old. And the fact that I had to look adult men who were coaches in the eyes and tell them that this was my decision and they had to listen to me gave me a sense of power and empowered me to use my voice, to speak with good body language. And I feel like I learned so many lessons through that, that I think every young woman should be a referee at some point to learn these lessons themselves. You know, when it comes to the relationship between parents and referees, it's always going to be complicated. Like I said, like I completely understand the intensity that games feel like, you know, even I feel like I could go into a youth game and but like, my little brother might be playing in and I'm like, Oh, like I'm in this game. Like I feel it. I think there's also just an understanding of learning, you know, as much as you might be, especially at the youth soccer level, your kids learning to play. These kids are learning how to ref. 
Like I said, I was thrown into refing when I was 15. And was I fully prepared? Absolutely not. You're never going to be until you're on the field numerous times. And so there's going to be bad decisions. Like there might be game-changing decisions. Like it happens. But going into it with the attitude that this kid is out here on their Saturday trying to give back to a sport and thinking about it from the perspective that if it wasn't for this 15-year-old kid here, your kid wouldn't be playing soccer right now, you have a little bit more grace. You know, I think it's just understanding that no one's going out onto a soccer field saying, I'm going to ruin this game today. I would love just for this game. I want this team to win already. Like, this is how it's happening. No one enters a game with that mentality. So just understand that. And I know it's easier said than done in all cases, but I think there's just this expectation that everyone needs to be perfect all the time. And as much as as a parent, you might hate when your coach screams at your son for making a mistake on the field because they're doing their best. So is that referee. And I think it comes from an all around feeling of that and everything can move forward. Now, final ref related question. Every week, it seems somewhere we're having a conversation about VAR. It's coming to the NWSL. Just from a referee perspective, what what are your thoughts? Obviously, it's it's here to stay. Do you feel like it's working? Is it an abomination? Because my argument has always been, this is a tool that is not always used correctly, but it's there to help referees get those decisions that they want back and give them that extra protection so they can be sure that they're right by getting that second opportunity. Is that how you feel or uh, yeah, just referee perspective on VAR? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a complicated discussion. I think at the end of the day, you know, obviously depending on the level at, between the referees, you might have six to eight eyes on the field. And that is simply not enough eyes to cover every angle and see everything. So I think VAR can add a great perspective when it comes to certain things. You know, you have the people in the booth seeing the things that you didn't see from different angles. They can speed it up or slow it down. They can look at it. And I think it does ensure the correct call on numerous occasions. I do also think that there's an aspect of flow of the game, you know, and are we really caring that that person was offsides by the tip of their fingertip or not their fingers, but the tip of their toenail or whatever it may be? Does that really impact the game? And so there's a balance, and I think there's an artful balance that hasn't necessarily been found yet. I think the intention is 100% great. I think it makes us play soccer followed by the laws of the game that are set, and that makes everything a bit more fair. I also think that there's something to be said about just letting the game happen. So I am on both sides as a player and a ref. It's very, very complicated. And as we wind down here, just a couple sort of general questions I want to ask you. Do 400,000 things inside and outside of soccer can go down the list. People can find you on social media to learn all about that. But what I want to know is how do you feel like your soccer journey has shaped who you are today? And you've alluded this to this a little bit, but just generally inside the sport, outside the sport, the person who you are as you are kind of winding, you know, not done yet, but getting ready to move on from your your college career here in the not so distant future. How has soccer just kind of impacted your life overall? Do you feel like? I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the sport of soccer, you know, whether it be the three-year-old girl who is in her purple uniform with pigtails on or me getting ready to go to Iowa practice tomorrow. I have learned nearly every life lesson that I've carried with me through the sport of soccer. 
everything from hard, what hard work and determination can get you, what believing in yourself more than anyone else is going to say to you can get you, as well as, you know, being on a team and having so many of those memories. You know, I believe that I am the passionate and the resilient and the dedicated person that I am because of the sport of soccer. And it is through soccer that every single day I get to express those characteristics of the things that I love the most about myself. And I've developed them through this sport. It's very easy to see soccer just as a sport or something that we all do. But I think for a lot of us, it is simply who we are. And I know that when I do hang at the cleats up someday and whatever that may be, I will be the person and the adult I am because the three-year-old that fell in love with the game and hated being sweaty. And I think there's something so magical about that, that I, it's hard to even put into words. And then final two questions, looking back at your soccer story so far, is there one highlight defining moment headline that kind of stands out to you above, above all the rest? Yeah, there is. And it's really funny thinking about this because it's not the typical answer, I think. So for those of you who look deep enough into my journey, it won't be hard to find. But my sophomore year in 2021, during the Big Ten tournament, I got a red card. And I was in the Big Ten semifinals. Iowa was number 13 out of 14 uh, seeded. We had a terrible conference season, but that year because of COVID, everyone made the tournament. And we were playing number four in the country, Penn State, at Penn State. So what were our chances? And I got an early yellow card, just making a big tackle in, like, the 20th minute. We go on to score after halftime in the, the 50th minute. We were up one nothing, And in the 60th minute, I got another yellow card. So I got a red card, and I was out of the game. And I, at that point, have started every single game of my Iowa soccer career. And I just remember going to the sidelines, not necessarily agreeing with the call and being like, I just lost this game for my team. You know, we're playing against number four in the country. We're playing a man down, like at their home field. Like what odds do we have right now? And I remember in that moment and looking back, I didn't know it was a life-changing moment, but looking back on it now, it was 100% a life-changing moment for me. I could have sat on that bench and cried. And anyone would have blamed me. You know, it was a very emotional time and I didn't think it was deserved. But instead, I was able to stand up and I cheered my team on. And I remember like the joke is that I yelled on the top of my lungs that entire game through my tears. And somehow, like, I love my team for it. We dug it out and we beat Penn State. We upset them at home and go on to the Big Ten Championship. And once again, I've started every game of my Iowa soccer career to this point, And I can't play in the Big Ten Championship. And that was a big ego check for me. I remember like watching a girl warm up in my position. I was like, that's my spot. Like you're in my spot. You can't do that. I wasn't even allowed to wear my jersey on the sideline because I couldn't play. And I was just, it was heartbreaking. But cheering on my team as we won the Big Ten tournament and we both pulled out that win. I learned in that moment that soccer is not an individual sport. And that might be a very obvious answer that of course it's a team sport. But until that moment in my life, I addressed soccer as myself. I was very selfish and this is what I want to do. These are the goals I have. I don't care about the other 11 people. This is what I'm doing. And in that moment, I was like, this isn't about me. This is about the journey. This is about people. And I think since that moment, it's changed my ideas of the times, you know, the stupid team dinners or the 
idiotic moments at practice where we're all just laughing, like cherishing that because it is a special group of people you get to be around every day. And I think it's so easy to break soccer down to numbers or break soccer down to specific plays, but it's the people that I think is why we all really love this sport. And it was that reminder for me. And last question again, thank you so much, Sam, for taking the time. I just want to end it on this kind of open-ended. What does your soccer story mean to you? I think it's a matter of pride for me right now. I think like, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting recently of like, oh, wow, like your time at Iowa is coming to an end. Like, what does that mean to you? And I think I've settled on the fact that, man, if eight-year-old me could find out right now that I'm the captain of a Big Ten University team, I have a Big Ten ring sitting on my desk right here. I have started every single game of my soccer career. Like, holy shoot, she would be proud of you, man. And I think it's just, you know, I've come so far. Like we've said, I'm not done yet. But it's just a matter of cherishing all the amazing moments. Sometimes the not so amazing moments where we grew out of those too. And, you know, right now I think I'm just proud. And it's been amazing to see myself grow. And like we said, I'm not done yet. That is Sam Carey. Sam, thank you so much for taking time to share your soccer story. Thank you. Thanks again to Sam for taking the time to chat. Be sure to subscribe to My Soccer Story wherever you listen to podcasts. The video version of each My Soccer Story episode is available on the Touchline Talk YouTube channel, and there is a written version at touchlinetalk.substack.com, so check those out as well. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.